what we're going to be talking about in this message. It's called Dear God. And it's a series about people who have questions about our Christian faith. Uh, one way that you could think about this series is if you, uh, at some point in your life, if you th could think of a question that you could write or a letter that you could write to God and say, Dear God, I, I have something that I wanted to talk to you about and here's my question. What would that question be? What would that question be for you? And uh, that's what we're going to be addressing here in the series. And I want to introduce uh, today's question. I, you can see on the graphic there, that's the sign that's out front. The very first question that we have for God in this series is, is God, can you even hear me when I pray? Can you even hear me when I pray? Uh, it, it, it refers to people who have spiritual doubts. And we're going to talk about today how to deal with our spiritual doubts. Now, a lot of people who uh, self-profess to be Christ followers, a lot of them experience spiritual doubt at some point or season in their life. They're questioning God because of some circumstance or something they're going through, and they don't understand, and they don't know where God is, and, and they're looking for answers. And, but what happens with a lot of people is they don't talk to anybody about it, they're, if, if they're in a life group, they don't share it with their life group. If they're uh, with other believers uh, in a service uh, on Sunday, they don't talk to them about it. They keep it to themselves. And some, in some cases, that's just not a healthy thing to do because God wants us to uh, inquire about Him and about our questions with a good community of faith. We're gonna, we'll talk about that as well. So... It, doubting is part of our spiritual journey. A lot of the saints in the past called doubting the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. And being part of our spiritual journey, especially given that none of us have arrived in heaven yet, our faith has not yet been made sight, unlike Jinmont, who's celebrating in Je Jesus' presence, and we'll celebrate that, as Lisa said, at 5 o'clock this afternoon. If you're available, I hope you come back and join us, uh, but since we're not in heaven yet, our faith has not yet become sight. George Barna did a survey about this very question of spiritual doubts that people had. He did it just last year. It was in July of 2017, and this, this was some good news that I discovered on the spiritual doubts, and it might be good news to you as well, uh, because if you have spiritual doubts, you are certainly not alone in the Christian community. The Barna Group's survey said that doubt, spiritual doubting is much more common than most Christians think. Most believers have some time in their lives when they've questioned what they believe about their religion or about God. But here's the key. Many people who are Christ followers who do have spiritual doubt, many come through on the other side stronger if they have a Christian community to help guide them through their season of doubt. It's terrible to be alone. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4 is very true. Uh, two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. If one falls down, another can help him up. Pity the person who falls down and has no one to help him or her up. So we're here as a Christian community to, to help each other in this journey of life. Uh, if you had, here's a question for you as you're thinking about this. If you had a serious question about God, do you know who you would go and talk with? Do you know who you go and talk with? 
Uh, I'd like to say me. I'd say my doors are open, my email's open, my phone works most of the time. I answer it some of the time even. So uh, I'd like to say you could come to me with your spiritual question, but uh, according to the survey, less than 20% of Christ followers in answer to that would say, I would go and talk to my pastor, uh, which is in, in to me kind of sad, but that's the reality of where people are. Uh, who would you turn to along the way? Uh, how would you find answers to your questions when you have doubts? Let's ask another question. Just how widespread is this doubt? Um, questioning what you believe about religion or God, 65% of people who self-identify as Christians say that they have spiritual doubts and they've battled this at some point in their life. Uh, just over a quarter of Christians say they still have spiritual doubts to this day, and it's unresolved. Four in ten have experienced it in the past, but they've been able to somehow work through it. Here's the, the sad part. It says, oh, oh, I won't say the sad part. Here's, here's the part I thought was funny. About one in three Christians say that they've never experienced spiritual doubt at any point in their Christian journey. And all I can say to that is, wow, well, congratulations to you, and you can join the camp over there by the River Denial and uh, join them over there if you've never had any moment of doubt in your life. Uh, not surprising, a larger percentage of men than women have experienced spiritual doubt. This is 32% to 20%, and they say millennials have more spiritual doubt than any other generation so far. And so if you're a millennial man who is single, you are most likely to have the spiritual doubts in your life. Um, what do you think, as we're talking about spiritual doubt, what do you think are some of the factors that trigger spiritual doubt? What is it that happens to a person's life that makes them wonder, does God even hear me when I pray to him? Uh, it could be health issues. It could be a crisis in your employment, a job loss. It could be a spousal or your partner abandons you. It could be a loss of a loved one uh, to death, uh, to disease, something like that, unexpected. And you do not understand why God is allowing this to happen in your life. And it causes you to come out to some spiritual doubts. For some young adults or maybe even middle-aged adults, your doubts could have uh, originated in an atheist professor in college who made fun of and mocked the Christian faith and questioned everything that Christians say they believe. And that put seeds of doubt in your life and you've never uh, been able to address some of those doubts and questions that were raised uh, by a professor in college. What I often wonder is, what if some 20 years later, that same professor who was an atheist or an agnostic and mocked Christ followers and those who believe the Bible and all that, what if some 20 years later, that person is now sitting in one of these churches and having regrets over how they misled a whole young generation of people? You ever think about that? Some of us have, have been mistakenly taught by certain Christian leaders that if we agree and we commit our lives to follow Jesus, that we will have a totally blessed life, that we will be free from troubles, that we will be protected by God from all harm. You know, like God's just going to put divine bubble wrap around us. And no matter what we run into or what we encounter, we're just going to bounce off and, and uh, Jesus is going to take care of us 
and, and we're not going to experience any pain or sorrow or trouble. Uh, whenever we call on him, he's going to be right there and give us an immediate answer to whatever our prayer is. And then when reality sinks in and when we do face tragedy or loss or disappointment or crisis or setbacks, some, somehow in that moment, and because we've been mistakenly taught this, at those moments, that's somehow when we have the doubts, when we think that somehow God's given us a raw deal or maybe that God isn't even there or that if he is there, that God doesn't really love us or care for us at all. Dr. J.P. Moreland said this. He said, reality, he said, reality is what you bump up against when you find that your beliefs are false. Mark Clark is a pastor of a village church in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's one of the up-and-coming pastors. He's only 37 years old. His church is exploding uh, with young adults in Vancouver, British Columbia. I've heard him. I've heard a few podcasts. He's an amazing Bible teacher. And Mark Clark said this. In fact, he wrote a book called The Problem of God. Mark Clark said, The longer that you are a Christian, the more time you have to realize that your faith requires skepticism. It requires believing in, in other words, he says, if you believe in one thing, it means also that you have to challenge and exclude other things that you may also believe. So as your faith in Christ grows, you realize that some of these other beliefs you had are false. And that requires some skepticism uh, about what you uh, thought you believed at that moment. It might surprise you just how many heroes of the Christian faith have doubted at some point in their lives. In fact, most of them have. I can think of three quick examples uh, going through the scriptures. Uh, in Matthew 28, uh, after Jesus had risen, had risen from the dead, he told his followers to go and meet him in, in, where they were at the time was Jerusalem. And he said, I want you to go north and meet me up in Galilee. And his disciples followed him and they went up to Galilee. And it says this in Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, of course they worshiped him. He's just risen from the dead. He proved he's the son of God and the savior. But he said, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them still doubted. And my first read on that is I wanted to, if I were there, I'd smack him. I'd say, why are you guys doubting at the very moment that your Lord and Savior has just risen from the dead and you can actually see him. We, in the 21st century, we're called to believe in him by faith. And, and we walk by faith, not by sight, as Paul says in Corinthians. Uh, but they saw him, and yet it said some of them still doubted. So it's not all that uncommon. In John chapter 20, and this is the most famous time of doubting, in John chapter 20, one of the followers of Jesus was not there the week before on that very first Sunday evening when Jesus appeared to the other disciples in the upper room and he was alive and he proved himself alive from the dead. He even said, do you have a piece of fish? And he took a piece of fish and he ate it in their presence. And yet Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, it says he was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. He's been around these guys for three years. He knows they've all walked with integrity. They've all learned to walk with even more integrity being around Jesus. And yet when they told him, we've seen the Lord, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. 
And you know what some of us would probably think would be the next part of the narrative is Jesus appeared and he said, Thomas, you've proved yourself unworthy to be my follower. I reject you. You can join Judas. You know, wouldn't, you, I, w- wouldn't that be a natural thing that you'd think he would say? And yet look at the graciousness of Jesus because when Jesus did show up the next time and Thomas was there with him, Jesus did not even rebuke him. He did not even punish him or castigate him. He just said, he said, here's my hands, here's my feet. Put your, put your hands in the scars. Put your hand in the, in the wound in my side and stop your unbelief and belief. And Thomas bowed before Jesus. He fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. There's one other passage in the New Testament that talks about spiritual doubt. And it talks about spiritual doubt in the very moment that you and I are praying. So the James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says these words in chapter one. He says, if you need wisdom... Anybody need wisdom in this room? Anybody need direction on where to go in life? What to do and what not to do? What to start to do, what to stop doing? That's getting wisdom from God. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says, if you want want to know what God wants you to do, not when, ask him and he will gladly tell you. I love that. Great. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking. I love that about God. He's not going to resent us when we come to him and say, I have a question. And I think God says like good teachers, there are no dumb questions. There's just those questions that you should ask that maybe you're not asking. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, what I want to focus on in that, in that last part of the verse is it says, when somebody doubts, what happens to them? What happens to the confidence in God, in Jesus, in, in God's re- revealed word to us, the Bible? What happens to all that? It says a doubtful mind becomes unsettled. And that person becomes as a wave of the sea that is just driven and tossed by the wind. The, the Bible says in Hebrews, the author says, we have this hope talking about our faith in Jesus Christ. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Our faith in Jesus is an anchor for our soul. And when we start doubting, we are, we're, we're letting that anchor up and we're just letting ourselves be uh, tossed to and fro by the wind like a wave that has no moorings or no anchor. That's what happens when we doubt. You know, one of the greatest heroes in all the Bible is a person who, has, who had a season of doubt. And you would think that after meeting Jesus, you would think that after being asked to baptize Jesus, and he had the right response to that, when Jesus came to this man, the man said to Jesus, you want me to baptize you? You're the one who should be baptizing me. And he said later on, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. This man that Jesus called a rock, that, that was called Elijah the prophet, to usher in the coming of Messiah, to be the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. This was the very man who in the last probably weeks and maybe months of his life, he went through a season of spiritual doubt. We know him as John the Baptist, and we can find his story in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. uh, Luke, the author of the third gospel, he says this, the disciples of John the Baptist told Jesus about everything Jesus was doing. 
Now, question, and this has a lot to do because context and setting has a lot to do with answering the question because I, I know me, some of you are probably going, poor John, you know, I guess he just went through that weak spot in his life and I thought he was, you know, I, I pictured this guy was a rock, that he was fearless, that when religious leaders came up to him, he called them, you know, who's going to save you, you brood of vipers? You know, he, he would call a spade a spade. He would tell it like it is. He was fearless. Voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And at the end of his life, this guy is now doubting whether Jesus is really the Messiah. How could that even happen? Understand the context of where John was. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 11, it says, when John was in prison, he received the news about Jesus. Some of you know the story of John the Baptist. He had rebuked the king in the area where he was preaching. His name was Herod. He was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod had shacked up with his brother's wife and married her. I believe her name was Herodias. And uh, that person uh, illegally, according to the Jewish law, married this King Herod. And John the Baptist called him out on it and says, you're breaking God's law. You call yourself a Jewish king, but you're breaking the law of God. And Herod, instead of repenting and saying, you know what, you're right, John, I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that anymore. He had John arrested and thrown into prison. And after John, for a, a, a certain amount of time, was in prison, probably chained to the wall, wondering, now I've, I've already baptized Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. He, I, he, is, he is now God's Messiah. He's out there preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. But nothing's happened to me. I'm still here languishing in, in this prison. It doesn't look like I'm going to get out. And I thought that if Jesus was the Messiah, things would be different. Maybe even he would spring me from jail. And yet John is now languishing in the prison and he hears about Jesus one more time and he sends his messengers and he says, please go and ask Jesus a question. And he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep on looking for someone else? And so John the Baptist, his disciples found Jesus and said to him, John sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? You know, John had served God faithfully, announced the good news fearlessly, but now he was having a season of spiritual doubt. You know, what I love about John the Baptist, John the Baptist did what many Christ followers today are not doing. Because in the survey, by the way, going back to the Barna survey, one of the questions they ask is, says, what, what do you do or what do you stop doing when you're going through a season of spiritual doubt? And the number one answer of what Christ followers say that they stop doing when they go through a season of spiritual doubt, you know the number one answer? They stop going to church. They stop going to the very Christian community that might be able to help them and give them answers to the questions that they're, they're asking and the struggle that they're going through. It's kind of sad. It's like you're, uh, you're wounded, but you're refusing to go to the hospital, right? And they're refusing to go to the place where they could find answers and healing. John the Baptist didn't do that. That's one thing that I really admire about him because when he had a question, when he had a doubt, he didn't run away from God. He didn't run away from Jesus. He ran toward him and he asks him the question, and I think John felt that he had a good enough relationship with Jesus that he said, hey, I know this is going to sound crazy 
And I know you might look down on me for asking this question, but are you really the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep on looking for someone else? And I love Jesus and his demeanor, his answer, because uh, look what uh, Jesus says to John. It says, verse 21, at the very time Jesus, uh, that John's messengers came to Jesus, at that very time Jesus cured many people of their diseases, their illnesses, their evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. So Jesus is doing miracles, and these followers of John are now witnessing Jesus doing these miracles. And by, which, by the way, was, was proof of Messiah's coming because in Isaiah's prophecy, it talked about Messiah doing these kinds of miracles. He was going to give sight to the blind. He was going to make the deaf hear. He was going to make the lame walk. And the poor were going to hear the gospel preached to them. So what does Jesus say? He says, go back and to John and tell him. In other words, don't just tell him a message. Don't just say, Jesus says this. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. By the way, right before this, that was the widow of Nain in, the, in a small village in Galilee, a, a woman who had lost her only son. He was about 12 years old. Jesus raised him to life. So that had just happened. Uh, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added this. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Jesus' answers to John was not to condemn John, not to make John ashamed of his doubting or his, his uh, how dare you ask me a question like that. Jesus just reminded John of what his ministry was all about. This is what Messiah had come to do. John, you didn't make a mistake. You were faithful to what God called you to do. But here's what happens in a, in a time of crisis or a time of suffering, a time of setback, a time of disappointment. John languishing, suffering in prison. That's where the darkness can creep in because darkness hates the light. And instead of humbling ourselves, um, the darkness would rather just try and snuff you out. The persecution that John was going through uh, actually just confirmed that he had the truth all along. Paul tells us in the last letter he wrote in 2 Timothy, he says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So John, what you're going through is natural and it is just confirming that you did the job that God wanted you to do. I had a pastor back in Sacramento when we were there some 20 plus years ago. His name was Daniel Henderson. Daniel Henderson always said this. He says, never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. Let me say that one more time. Never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. Think what Jesus told John. Tell John what you have seen and heard. Tell him about the miracles Tell them that Jesus is fulfilling and accomplishing exactly what Messiah was supposed to be doing. And so let's think about today. Let's think about where people are today with their spiritual doubts. God, can you even hear me when I pray? I don't even know if I should believe or trust in you anymore. Are you still worth following? Uh, how can we be helpful to somebody who is going through a season of spiritual doubt? What can we do to help them? If you have your bulletins for, with your sermon outline, these are where the fill in the blanks are gonna come. We have got nine ways to deal 
or nine ways to help you or help somebody you know who's going through this deal with their doubt. And I hope these are helpful when people are going through uh, seasons of doubt in their life. Number one is let's just be honest. Let's just be honest about our doubt. Acknowledge, that's the A word. You have one letter that gets you started. Maybe you can guess the right word. Some of you probably said admit, but the actual word was acknowledge. So you're 0 for 1. No, just kidding. Um, acknowledge your doubt. It's tempting, to sweep un- it's tempting for us to sweep doubt under the rug because if you're a longtime Christ follower or even if you're new to the faith, doubt can feel embarrassing, right? I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling like this. I want everybody to think that I'm a strong believer and follower of Jesus and I never look back and I never waver in my faith. I want people to think that, but that's not really me where I am right now. You might buy the line that says, real Christians, they don't have any doubts. They don't ever waver. You don't have to fake it and pretend that you believe everything all the time, right? That's what Thomas the disciple, he doubted. He didn't hide his doubts. He shared them with his friends, right? So acknowledge your doubt. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. Jesus met John the Baptist right where he was. So acknowledge your doubt, number one. Number two, have mercy on those who doubt. Now, I got this line. I think it's a great phrase right there. Have mercy on those who doubt. And the reason I think it's great is because it comes right out of the pages of the New Testament. It comes from Jude chapter, or there is only one chapter in Jude. It comes from Jude and verse 22, right? It's funny to say Jude 1, 22, as if there's other chapters. Um, So that's an inside joke to those who know the New Testament really well. But anyway, it's a direct quote from Jude's letter. Have mercy on on those who doubt. In the New Living Translation, it says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Don't condemn somebody just because his or her faith is shaky. At that time, they don't need condemnation. They don't need a rebuke. They need love and they need compassion. They need someone who understands, not someone who's going to judge them. And by the way, that someone someday whose faith is wavering, that someone just may be you. So have mercy on those who doubt. Number three, other ways that we can help people deal with their spiritual doubts. Number three, realize that doubt can be a catalyst for deeper faith. Doubt can be a catalyst for deeper faith. I remember one time, this was in the early 1980s, and right across from Cal State Fullerton, uh, there was a Mormon Institute of Religion. And I was new in the faith, and I didn't know anything about Mormonism. And uh, we went over and some of the Mormon missionaries there, they started uh, saying that the Bible had mistakes in it. The Bible was corrupted and the Bible uh, was wrong here and there. And that's why they needed a new translation. Thank you very much, Joseph Smith. And I'm sitting there not knowing any of these answers, didn't know anything about the reliability of the scriptures. And so I'm hearing this and they, they gave me this one story about the Apostle Paul Uh, when he was on the road to Damascus and he saw a light, but his friends didn't hear the sound. And then there's another account of the same event in Acts chapter 22. And it sounds like the events are contradictory. And I remember hearing them describe it to me. And, I, and it made me think, oh my goodness, that sounds contradictory. It sound, well, the Bible's not supposed to contradict itself. How can it say one thing, this is how the event happened over in Acts 9, and this is how the event happened in Acts 22? Oh my goodness, the Bible could, maybe it's not really fully inspired by God. Maybe my faith is getting shaky here and, and you know, going through some of those thoughts. 
And I finally went to our college pastor, Roger Warsham, and I said, Roger, this is what this Mormon uh, missionary told me about the Bible. And this is where, and, he, and we went to Acts 9, we went to Acts 22, and guess what? It wasn't contradictory at all. It was just a sort of a different perspective of describing the same event. And my faith was restored, and it led me to actually have deeper faith and deeper confidence in the Scriptures that sometimes even what it looks like a contradiction or looks like a problem just needs a little more exploration and a little deeper understanding and that led me to deeper faith so sometimes as long as you go as long as you're willing to go toward God toward the Christian community towards somebody who can help give you an answer to your honest question sometimes it can help you lead to deeper faith number four accept that in life and faith there is still mystery there is still mystery. Some people have questions and doubts, and they're good answers for them. Others are going to have questions that, frankly, you're not going to get an answer to that question until your faith becomes sight, until you get to heaven. I have questions like, why is it that some people who have cancer die and other people are healed and live? You got an answer to that one? Uh, why is it that some people get cancer at all and other people who smoke like a chimney don't get cancer. You know, why, what, is there some roulette wheel that they're on and they came up snake eyes or, I know I'm mixing my metaphors, but, uh, sorry, I just, I don't understand it. Uh, it's all based on visits to Grayton Casino. No, just kidding. Uh, why? For some, it's, it's, these questions are still a mystery. By the way, during the Catholic Mass, and this is very interesting, and the Eucharist, which are the elements, the, the bread and the cup, uh, and the mystery of the bread and the cup when they're celebrating communion, and the priest lifts up uh, uh, the bread and wine toward heaven with both hands, and during the Mass, the priest says, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. And you know what the congregation says at that point? It says, Christ has died. Christ is risen, Christ will come again. You know that, right? Isn't that that's something? So Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In the mystery of our faith, what is the anchor? What is the base? What is the foundation for everything that we believe? It all goes back to Jesus. Who is Jesus? And when you settle that question, all the other questions become secondary and tertiary and way down the list of importance. The mystery of our faith. There are going to be some mystery. There's still going to be some mystery. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know many of you were here three weeks ago when we were talking about in our series in Corinthians. In verse 12 of chapter 13, Paul says this. Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me now. Then I will know everything completely. So what does that say about where we are now? We don't know everything completely. We don't have every answer to every question of life, but we know somebody who does, and he says when we come in his presence, whenever that then is, it's whenever you and I get to heaven or it's whenever Christ returns, whichever comes first, and I'm praying for the second one, 
to, to, to be the first uh, for Jesus' return, that that then, then we will know everything completely. Now we have to accept that in life there is still some mystery. Number five, keep in mind the main things. That's what we just said when we're talking about what the priest says during the Mass. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. What are the main things of the Christian faith that are rock solid in our lives? That Jesus died for our sins, just to remind us of 1 Corinthians 15, that was only last week. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. There, those are the main things of our Christian faith, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Jesus. That whoever puts their faith and trust in him would not perish but have eternal life. The main things. Don't let the secondary questions throw you off your central trust in Jesus Christ. He's the main thing. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. Number six, how can we uh, find ways to deal with our spiritual doubt? Number six, stay connected. Be like John the Baptist. Be like, quote, doubting Thomas. Be like other people throughout the centuries who when they went through a season of spiritual doubt, they ran toward God, not away from God. Stay connected with your Christian community. Doubt can be a lonely place, a scary place, especially if you keep your questions to yourself. Share them with your Christian friends. And when you do, I believe you're gonna open up a doorway to let them help you Answer those questions. That's, by the way, that's what a good life group is for. Lisa was just announcing life groups today for women, two that are starting this week, right? Tuesday night at your house, Thursday night here at church. There's another men's group that's gonna start up the first week in October. Life groups are a great place to bring your spiritual questions and, and your moments of doubt because the Christian community can help us through that together and find answers. Stay connected to your Christian community. Number seven, dealing with our doubts. Number seven, distinguish between two things because they're not the same thing. Distinguish between doubt and unbelief. What's the difference? Doubt can actually be helpful. Doubt is an honest question. Your doubt can be the bridge that helps connect you to a deeper faith. But unbelief is something different. Unbelief is when you start with doubt, but then you take it a, a dark step further and unbelief happens when you are now concluding, when you've now already determined that God is not who he says he is, that God is not all good, that he's not really all loving or all powerful, uh, that he's not really worthy of your loyalty. That's when unbelief creeps in and that's when it's dangerous. Distinguish between those two. Doubting is okay. Find somebody to talk to about your doubts. Number eight, this is gonna seem a strange one. <laughs> Work it, dealing with your doubts. Number eight, work through the sin in your life. Huh? I thought you were talking about having spiritual doubts. What does my sin have to do with it? Now you're gone to meddling. <laughs> well, I think our sin has plenty to do. I think there is some connection between sin in our life and doubt. Isaiah the prophet describes the effect of a person who is disobeying God in their life and what happens to them. He says, the Lord is not too weak to save you. The Lord is not becoming deaf. But you know what? There's a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God because, and because of your sin, he has turned away 
and will not listen anymore. Sin violates relationship between us and God. Sin separates us from close communion with God. And sometimes when we feel far away from God, we have to wonder, you know, like Rick Warren always asks that question, if you ever feel far away from God, guess who moved? You know, it wasn't God. It was you. We move away from God from our sin, and then sometimes we wonder, why does he seem so far away? Why does he seem so distant? Confess our sins. Turn away from our sins. Come back to God. And, and I think that the, the sense, the spiritual sense of God's presence will be so much more strong in your life. Finally, number nine. Yes, there is an end to this list. <laughs> and it's this, number nine. Doubt your doubts. You ever, you know, the college, the atheist or agnostic college professor wants you to doubt your beliefs. Why can't you come back and say, I want you to doubt your doubts. I want you to uh, question your disbelief. I want you to challenge your own disbelief. People say they start doubting everything in the Christian faith. Well, why can't you flip it around and start questioning your doubts? I mean, are your doubts really so ironclad that your doubts can't ever be challenged? The core of our Christian faith is Jesus' death and resurrection. The skeptics and atheists, they've challenged it. They've tried to snuff out the Christian faith over the centuries, and they've never been able to successfully discredit the, the historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And you know why they can't discredit it and they can't snuff it out? Because Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone of our Christian faith. And he's not going anywhere. And he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's no expiration date on that announcement and that promise. Sometimes I think believers who are going through a crisis or a season of doubt, somehow they missed reading some of Jesus' words when he said, you know what? This life that we're going through, it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not always going to be a, 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 a nice, fun parade. It's not always, you're not always going to be riding on the clouds of victory. You're not always going to be conquering every problem in your life. Life is not always going to be going your way. Look what Jesus told his followers on the very night before he himself went to the cross. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. And they come in all shapes and sizes, Right? So those troubles, you, you, instead of saying, oh no, troubles have come my way, somehow God isn't who he says he is. Instead of going there, why don't you say troubles have come my way, I should expect that in life because God, Jesus promised it. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in our relationship with Christ, we are more than conquerors. We too can overcome the world. You know, it's okay to admit that things aren't perfect in your life. It's okay to share how you're really feeling. It's okay not to be okay all the time. But when we do go through those, those troubling seasons and maybe doubt creeps in and we say, God, can you even hear me when I, when I pray to you? Here's a verse that you can take to heart. It says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will sustain you. He will carry you when we cast our cares upon him. That's a promise in the Psalms. It's repeated by Peter in his first letter in chapter five. There was an evangelist in the 1960s. His name was Tom Skinner. He used to be a gangbanger in the streets of Harlem in New York. 
he became a Christian and he became an evangelist. And as he finished up his talks presenting the gospel message of Christ to people on college campuses, Tom Skinner would say this. He said, I spent a long time trying to come to grips with my doubts. And I suddenly realized that I'd better come to grips with what I believe. I have since moved from the agony of questions that I cannot answer to the reality of answers that I cannot escape. And it's a great relief. There was a young man in college in the 60s who heard those words and he crossed the line of faith and became a follower of Jesus because of the testimony, because of the sharing of the good news by Tom Skinner. That man came up, became the founder of Family Life Today. His name is Dennis Rainey. Jesus doesn't show us the rest of the story when we sign up to follow him. He doesn't show us the end from the beginning. He says to you, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me daily. I want you to just take the next step forward. You're not going to know the whole future. And if you did, you'd be scared spitless. I don't know if that's in the Greek. But I do know, and I'm going to be with you. I do know, and this is Jesus talking to us, to you and me today. I do know that I am going to be with you every step of your life until the day you take your last breath. So just keep following me. Keep taking the next step, one faith step at a time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today, if you've never fully committed yourself to following Jesus, if you've never asked him to be your forgiver and your leader up to this point in your life, I want to give you a chance to do that today. Maybe today is the day for you to say yes to following Jesus. He died for your sins on a bloodstained cross. He was buried in a tomb but he didn't stay dead. Jesus was raised on the third day and he's reigning in heaven now to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus is the one who promises to give you eternal life if you would put your trust in him. If that's where you are, I invite you to pray with me today. Lord Jesus, today I come before you and I humble myself in your presence. In faith, I declare that I am trusting in you with my life. Thank you for loving me and giving me your life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. And Lord Jesus, from this day forward, as best as I understand it, I am going to follow you all the rest of the days of my life. Thank you for your promise of eternal life. Thank you for bringing me into God's family. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.